coming up in this episode, more people die on Liberia's roads as a percentage of population than almost anywhere else in the world. Why then did the Wea government allegedly killed a $50 million agency meant to make the roads safer. Critics point to an allegedly illegal contract to a Wea ally. This whole thing was put on, on hold because there was a contract given to Yubuti to again. Political parties ignore their own commitment to fill women in 30% of seats. Liberia's low representation by women's looks set to fall further. Presidential candidate Arizona Cummings and Tiaron Gonglo commit to hold a war crimes court if elected. But President Duya and ex-Vice President Buaka refuse to comment. It's an indication that there is no consensus among Liberia's elites around issues of uh, wartime accountability. And a new narrative survey finds a third of voters do not trust the newly introduced biometric voter registration BVR system ahead of October's elections. You are listening to Democracy in Focus. Welcome to our program, looking at Liberian democracy in the run-up to this year's elections. It's a collaboration with Front Page Africa for reporting for journalists in the new narratives program. I'm Anthony Stevens. And I'm Evelyn Kwadesipi. Road traffic accidents have touched almost every family in Liberia, including my own. My mother was killed on June 3, 2019, when a bad driver ran into a broken-down trailer truck in Batala, Bon County. She was one of hundreds killed or injured every year. Only Zimbabwe and Venezuela have higher death rates. In January this year, a new agency was set up to curb that toll. Liberia Traffic Management, or LTM, is a $50 million facility on the outskirts of Monrovia. We've set up the art machines and facilities to inspect brakes, lights, and engines for problems. A fleet of tow trucks and motorbikes would support police to attend to accidents and remove broken-down vehicles. But LTM never got a chance to operate. Anthony and Sarah Hammond of Spoon FM have been covering this story for us. Anthony, this facility sounds like a game-changer for road safety in Liberia that might stop accidents like the one that killed my mother. Why is it not operating? Evelyn, several attendees at the launch have told us about this exciting day in January with a cast of officials from police, government, and embassies ready to unveil this impressive facility that will cut down the terrible toll on our roads. Three high-ranking LTM officials who were there told us that Police Inspector General Patrick Sulu was supposed to cut the ribbon to the new facility. But while everyone was waiting for his arrival, he called a senior member of his staff at the event and told them that he would not be coming. The staff member said he had received a call from court the mansion that LTM should be shut down. Initials Blade is the assistant manager of LTM. He describes the mood of guests that day. It was very disheartening and then all of the investors, they were very disenchanted. But then again, <laughs> we have no power over it. Uh, it seems like the person that make the call have more power than everybody. The launch was the culmination of six years' work by LTN management, led by Lebanese businessman Dr. Iman Hash and officials in the Salif and Weir administrations. It finally won legislative approval in 2018. In 2019, President Weir himself visited the facility and construction began. The shutdown came as a complete shock to LTN management 
which has sunk $18 million into the project. Then came the news that Modern Development Management Corporation, a company owned by the treasurer of President Weir's political party, the CDC, had won a contract to license vehicles in Liberia. Experts tell us the concession is worth at least $5 million a year. Several legal experts we have spoken to tell us that to give a contract to another company after one has already won legislative approval is illegal. LTM's case is sitting on the docket of the Supreme Court. Three key officials in the Sedif administration who worked on the initial concession were very clear what they believed went on there. Councillor Murphy Cannon is a former lawyer for the Transport Ministry. In the face of the concession, your body should not have gotten the contract. No one single individual can terminate a statute. If you want to nullify the concession agreement, you have to come back to the legislature and state cause why. Kanye claims his contract at the Transport Ministry was not renewed when he asked questions about the Ubuti contract. We also spoke to two former police chiefs in the Sedeva administration who worked on the LTM concession. One of them, Gregory Coleman, was also head of the National Bureau of Concessions. This whole thing was put on, on hold because there was a contract given to, to Ubuti again. So obviously, I mean, that is the person of contention. So to, for me to say he stopped it, I do not have facts about that, but that's the person who the contract was given to. So if we're talking about specific interests, the issue of the specific interest will rest around him. From your knowledge, because you were at the Bureau of Concessions at some point when this uh, due of uh, the LTM was being fulfilled. Did he see the LTM as, as a rival, you think? I don't know what his direct involvement was. Look, uh, this is one thing I can tell you. Just one person cannot overturn everything about uh, such a process. Even if he has specific interest in it, I mean, it will require more than just his interest that will be able to drive a process because this process was not at the level of the executive when I left it before I went to Bureau of Concession. It was at the level of the uh, House for Ratification. I remember there was a communication from the Office of the President withdrawing certain concessions which included this. IMTC reviewed it, IMCC approved it, and it went back to the House for Ratification. It was ratified. So uh, I don't know what happened in between there. You're saying there could be a likelihood that this could include a team of people who just didn't want this LTM due to have gone through and, and, and then they, they may have conspired to shut it down. I think it involves specific interests. Can you explain further? When I talk about specific interests, I mean, it, does, it, it just, I don't need a rocket scientist to explain to me how to break down the formula as to why this thing won't come alive. Does it make sense to you? It just doesn't make sense to me. Nothing else points to it besides the fact that there are other interests overriding the greater good benefits of the people. I know for a fact that you know, when this agreement comes alive, it will definitely improve our public safety records. You will have a massive reduction in all of these breakdowns to strange places where you do not have the capacity to immediately uh, remove some of the uh, broken down vehicles from the road. This system was built in a way that it came with support. Support for removal of uh, broken down vehicles at all tonnage. Massive police support for public safety enforcement. This is an investment and those who brought it came to make profit. There are concerns that it would take resources 
resources from the government and give it to foreigners. It's not taking resources from the government. No, it's meant to improve government revenue uh, generation capacity as it relates to motor vehicle operations and also reduce the harassment and embarrassment that being experienced by motorists as they move from one point to another. Tell us about the issue of job creation because uh, we have an economy that isn't performing. How could this do help in addressing the issue of job problems in Liberia? So as it stands right right now, there are jobs through the uh, vehicle inspection. If the vehicle inspection facility is a massive facility that would need to be run by over 100 to 200 persons, it creates jobs for those who would be in the recovery, uh, accident recovery unit, those on the tow trucks and stuff that will be moving back and forth. It creates jobs for those who will even be in the vehicle registration and licensing. So it has a component that creates jobs. It has a component that increases safety. It has a component that brings about police visibility, builds trust uh, with local communities because I, I remember when, when we're going back and forth when we're trying to build in the accountability component, we insisted that the investors bring in radios that carry body cam. So all of the interaction between motorists and police officers will be recorded by video and audio. And the good part about those radios, the officers could not really shut down the microphone or the camera on their own because it can be reactivated. So, I mean, it, there, there was a lot about it that was meant to really, really enhance police uh, visibility and uh, create some level of safety. I tell you, if that thing came alive today, automatically with police visibility would be increased by almost 200%. I'm concerned about the effectiveness of the services you outlined. Can you give us one or two examples where this similar contract is running other countries? If you go to Europe and America and every other place, you have all of these facilities where vehicles are checked and certified before they're even given these registrations. The processes are all online and you're able to walk into a DMV, go through your computer process and have your registration done immediately. If you look at the police that's enforcing it, the police come with body cam, they have their vehicles, they have motorcycles and everything. And these were the same things that they tried to, to introduce here. They brought in uniforms for the police, vehicles for the police as well, motorcycles and bicycles for the police. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Thank you. Mark Amland was police chief from 2009 to 2011. He shares common concerns about the RTM shutdown. If it's already passed into law and it's not being implemented, I would have to assume that it's for political reason that it's not being implemented. I don't want to speculate, but I said, who, how else will it be stopped? Would you want to do business with a country that could summarily, arbitrarily set aside their own law that they create or that they make? You wouldn't want to. You, you sound very disappointed. Well, of course I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm a citizen. We who live here, it's difficult for us. If you can imagine people coming and visiting the country and seeing this kind of, it's like a, it's like being in an environment, no no order. There's no order. Everything's just going just the way it wants. Anybody, everybody doing what they want to do. That society is doomed. Meanwhile, Liberians are growing increasingly frustrated at the accident toll. I spoke to Erika Smart, who lost her junior brother, Lucky, in an accident in March. He was riding a keke on the Morovia Ravosfield Highway when it collided with a moving truck and burst into flames. At least five people died. It hurt everyone. He wants to become someone for us. Yes, because he was someone who lucky, people like him in school and everything. Hindu people like him. We interviewed LTM's manager Blade at the facility last month. He was clearly frustrated to be sitting next to the machines, facilities, and vehicles 
that could be saving the lives of Liberians and foreigners alike. The problem that existed in the traffic that LTM tends to provide solution to are still happening. We still have cars that are parked in the street that are not roadworthy that are causing accidents. We have uh, buses that are transporting students, future leader of Liberia, from one destination to another. That is 40. That sometimes lead to accidents and loss of life. The case has cast up poor over investments in the country. Investors steers gave the investment of LTM management with such a prominent investor as Dr. Iman Hajj is not safe from political interference. No one is. One leading investor who didn't want to be named to protect his interests in the country told us they would not invest another dime under this administration. What did Yubutin and others say about the allegations? Yubutin did not respond to our request for comment. Neither did Transport Minister Samuel Wuru, who is now an advisor to the CDC campaign team. We also did not get any reply from Information Minister Ledger Hood Rennie. Police Inspector General Patrick Sudhuwat initially said he didn't want to go on the record. He did come back to us after the article was published to admit that he received a call, but dismissed allegations that the call came from the mansion as, quote, false and misleading. In a WhatsApp message to us, he also claimed that he lobbied for the OTM concession and accused Wudu of undermining the agreement, but refused to say how. Anthony and Cyrus, thanks for your reporting. You are welcome. It's my pleasure. With less than three months to October's elections, we already know one outcome. Women will make up less than 15% of the legislators in the new legislature. Women's rights advocates fear it will even be less. At just 11%, Liberia already has one of the lowest numbers of women legislators in Africa. When the final list of aspirants was published by the National Elections Commission this month, just 15% were women. Our newly promoted senior correspondent, Jocelyn Wuye, has been reporting on the issue for the New Republic. Jocelyn, welcome to the program. Thank you, Anthony. Was this outcome a surprise? It was a big blow to women's rights advocates who have pushed a bill through the legislature last year that urged parties to nominate women to 30% of seats. And then earlier this year, they got parties to sign an agreement that they who fill 30% of candidate spots with women. Now, neither of those are legally enforceable. For this outcome, just 15% of nominees is very disappointing to them. Of the Major political parties, the collaborating political parties, CPP, came the closest with 16 women of its 59 candidates, or 27%. Just 12 of the 82 candidates of the ruling coalition for democratic change are women, just under 15%. This comes despite President Weah's repeated claims to be a champion of women. Campaigners for the quota are disappointed about the development. Of course, it is well established by research that countries with a more balanced representation between men and women do better economically and in terms of political and human rights. That is the thinking of the Liberia Transformation Party, a smaller party running for just six seats, which is the only party that met the quota. In fact, it exceeded it with 43% of its candidates being female. National Chairman Abraham Yaquincy said the decision was easy. When women lead, there's always a possibility of peace in the nation, accountability, 
women most of the time found it difficult to be more corrupt and so what we did was not to put people against them and to relax fees that people are paying to register to be on the party ticket for primaries but also will not carry you to primaries. What reasons did the other parties give for not upholding the terms of the MOU? They are generally saying the women were disinterested in running. Fatou Suare is the chairperson of the National Women's League of the CDC. And this is something that you cannot force them other than will. It is a 50-50 thing. The men are not just going to put it on several platter and say, come and take it. We should use Madam Helen Johnson Selly as our role model and fight for what we want. I have to say that women's activists are disputing that. They say that there are a host of reasons that women are pushed aside, one of them being the cost parties in the NEC imposed on candidates. National Vice Chair for the Unity Party, Colonial Kratzopa, claims they did all they could to encourage women in their party to contest the elections, but only made it to less than 20%. We provided discount of 20%, so where male candidates were paying $750 for the unity party ticket as determined by the executive committee of the party. We got the executive committee to also agree that the females will pay $600 um, USD for as their registration in an effort again to buttress uh, reaching the 30% quota. Despite all of those efforts, we still were not able to get as many females as we wanted to um, get fielded on the unity party ticket. As to where we have the power to appoint, to make decisions internally as a political party, we have made those strides. Unity party initially for vice, um, we have four national vice chairs. For the first time since our commitment to women's political participation, we now currently have two of those vice chairs as females and two of the vice chairs as male. Um, and we should understand that this is a democratic organization. So in a democratic organization, there has to be competition. There has to be elections. You cannot just handpick people for certain positions. You can only provide the avenue for it. Women's rights activists say they are now working overtime to ensure as many as possible of the women who were nominated make it to the legislature. Thank you for your reporting, Jocelyn. You're welcome, Anthony. Of all the promises that candidates are making in the lead up to the elections, none is more vexing than a war crimes court. Human rights lawyer Tiawan Gunglo has long been an advocate of a court to implement the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which said a court should be held to try those most responsible for the carnage that left more than 250,000 people dead in the 14 years of the wars. Alexander Cummings, standard burial of the collaborating political parties, has also committed to hold a court. Anthony Cummings reaffirmed his commitment to hold a court if elected for the piece you did for Fumpish Africa. What did he say? Cummings has sent us a statement which lays out a very strong belief in the importance of justice for wartime atrocities. Our nation, out of the fear for confronting the difficult past which has led to the present fragility, has not only ensured we have remained a fragile society, that is, unfortunately, living on our yoke of debilitating fear of repeating its ugly history rather than forging ahead 
united in the purpose of nation building. The war in economic crimes code will deepen and accelerate processes of national reconciliation and healing, strengthen the bonds of a divided nation through justice and bring much needed closures to years of wars and tenuous peace. That strong commitment was warmly welcomed by activists for our court. That position strongly backs the position of Tiawon Gonglo, who has campaigned for our court for many years as a means of building democracy and security. We want Liberia's peace to last. We cannot have a situation where we ignore the feelings of those who are hurt. Making peace is actually based on taking the victim's feelings into consideration. It should be the victims who should be saying, we forgave those who did things to our family members. But, but there, are, there are concerns about digging out old wounds. And let me say, in other countries where uh, people have engaged in selective amnesia to forget about the, the past and say, let's move on, the evil that people try to forget comes back. As you know, Rwanda, the genocide that took place in 1994 was actually the third genocide. There were two before that. And the people in Rwanda said, oh, let's forget and move on after the first one. Second one, let's forget and move on. The third one took place for a short time, but more people were killed, nearly a million people. That is what happens when you promote impunity. So when we talk about rule of law, it has to be holistic. The new legislature might not have difficulty establishing a, a court to hold people accountable because if we allow impunity to continue, there might be criminal gangs formed who will just grab people right in the street and kill them. And that means that people will be insecure. What did the Liberian government and the former ruling unity party say about this? Information Minister Legit Wereni declined requests for comment on whether President Weya would implement a court in a second term. We are dead call for the court in the speech to the UN General Assembly in 2019. But when he returned home in October of that year, he dismissed it. What now? You calling for work, Uncle? I say now, what this time? When we have an economic issue, we're trying to develop our country, why focus on the work, Uncle, now? The party of presidential candidate Joseph Waka resisted a court in the two terms of the Sadiq administration. It did open the back the court in the statement in 2021, but they have not spoken of it since and pointedly, not since the party secured the backing of former warlord Senator Prince Johnson in the upcoming poll. Johnson will likely be one of the first people charged by our court. A UP representative promised to comment on the issue, but has never done so. Interestingly, Waka's running mate is Senator Jeremiah Kuhn, who hears Johnson's political party. Kuhn said he was in favor of a court in a radio interview in May. He said the war had destroyed a good part of his life and believed people should pay for that, but he didn't want to see the court weaponized politically. If it is genuine that we want to bring everyone who participated in the war to face the court, and that justice be served to those of us who suffer the war. I'm in full support. I'm not in support of the political aspect that people want to target people because you think the person is not on your side. Even Weah is a former official of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and a leading advocate for a war crimes court. It's an indication that there is no consensus among Liberia's elite around issues of uh, wartime accountability. Some politicians may not want to be involved at the moment because uh, they think it could take away votes from them. It's frustrating to me, it's frustrating to anyone who, who sees clearly that uh, Liberia could be farther than what we are today. Opening up old wounds 
Have we really looked back to address the past? Mr. Stevens, I don't think we've done that. Every society who have really looked back and addressed the past, you can look and see the direction the society is headed. It's important for the media to put it on record that in 2023, there was an opportunity for Kennedy X to speak to this. He refused. Five years later, that information could be very relevant when this person is making an opinion on a matter that he didn't want to talk about. It remains to be seen whether Liberians will take the Kennedy's position on the war crimes court into account when they vote in October. It may be that they see the crushing economic crisis as more important. Thank you for your reporting, Anthony. You are welcome, Evelyn. Finally today, for the first time ever this year, Liberians were introduced to a biometric voter registration system, an electronic process using faces and fingerprints to identify voters. The aim of the BVR system is to clean the voters' role of dead people and duplicates that have plagued previous elections. But a new narrative's front-page Africa survey of voters has found that the chaotic registration process with long lines and poorly trained staff has caused a third of voters to lose confidence in the electoral system. Vani Dukle of OKFM reported the story for Frontage Africa. Welcome, Vani. Thanks, Evelyn. What fueled the distrust? We surveyed 60 voters across all age groups in five areas of Montserrat County. They all shared frustration about long lines, poorly trained technicians, and the next emission that 27,000 people were registered twice. This is commercial motorcyclist Razak Kanen. I don't trust that. There are complaints that two, three person registers and it is being placed all over now. In fact, one of my own brother from Jamaica who registered in Bobolu. There's another list somewhere in Moravia. His name is on that list. 50-year-old Mary Kosa is a women's leader in the St. Paul Bridge community. I saw more people left the, the, the area. They were leaving because of the time. And then the land was so long that they could not bear patients due to the poor or working system. Now, most were unaware that the National Elections Commission will not use BVR on Election Day. But the experience of registering has made them mistrust the system. What are elections observers saying about this? The head of Secretariat of the Liberia Election Observation Network, Leon, Augustine Tamba, expressed disappointment over the issue. It is a concern. Uh, it's attributed to people's feelings towards uh, the governance process. I think it's about the issue of confidence, confidence in the electoral period. This is why we are basically encouraging the National Election Commission to be able to give as much information as possible to the general public. What did the NEC say about the voters' concerns? Commission's spokesman Henry Flomo says the commission takes the concerns seriously. I think already it's known that there were problems, but those uh, problems we call technical glitches were all one way or the other managed. Uh, they didn't go all the hand. I can't question the funding because there are opinions you know, of real people. Flomo said the neck is ramping up efforts to inform voters and build trust in the lead up to the poor. Thanks for your reporting. My pleasure. That's all for now. In our next program, we'll follow issues that have been capturing headlines as the October elections get closer. You are listening to Democracy in Focus, a new narrative production. If you have a story suggestion or want to let us know what you think of the program, text us at WhatsApp number 
231-770-960-297. You can also comment and follow us on Facebook at New Narratives or check out our website, newnarratives.org. I'm Anthony Stevens. And I'm Evelyn Padosipi. The music in this episode is by Fifth Vonick. Funding was provided by our kind sponsors, the Swedish and U.S. embassies in Liberia and the American Jewish World Service. Thanks for listening. This too shall pass away There will be fire